All right, today we're going to be in the fifth and final installment of our beginning series, and uh, it's been such a fi- uh, fun faith journey that we've been embarking on, and uh, I've, been, I've been looking forward to today and today's message for a long time, and uh, week one in this series, we talked about how this is just the beginning. Uh, we believe that this is just the beginning of something that God is going to do, something, the beginning of something great, and uh, we learned about the miracle in John chapter number two, this beginning of miracles, and uh, then we talked about uh, from the book of, book of Isaiah how Uh, God can bring new roads and new rivers, and uh, with his path, with his purpose comes his provision, and uh, we talked about uh, in week three how to embrace the uncharted territories in life, the unknown territories. Sometimes it's a little bit scary taking that step of faith, but how we can boldly uh, approach those uh, uncharted territories in life. And then last week we talked about first things first. Everybody say first things first. We talked about the power of priority and uh, making sure that God uh, is in his rightful position in our lives, occupying the central position and having the preeminence in our lives. And today we're going to conclude the series uh, with a message that I'm going to entitle, All In. All In. Uh, Find someone sitting next to you and ask them, are you all in? Are you all in? All right. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Mark 10. And uh, we'll start reading in verse number 46. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard, everybody say heard, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. And he commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise. He calleth thee, and casting away his garment, he rose, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Everybody say, thy way. way. Jesus says, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus in the way. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. And God, I pray that for the next few minutes, our hearts will be directed to your word. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say. And God, I pray that we can be uh, encouraged and challenged this morning. God, I pray that we can uh, decide that we're going to live an all-in life for you. And uh, God, thank you for new beginnings and new mercies. And God, I pray that we would uh, capitalize and take advantage of the new beginnings that you give us. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are afraid of heights? Can I see your hand? Afraid of heights? Okay, I'm not too terribly afraid of heights, uh, but there are some people in my family that are extremely afraid of heights. And I remember growing up, my mom thought uh, that it would be a good idea to take uh, myself and my brother and my sisters to swim lessons. And uh, swim lessons, to me, sounded amazing. You know, uh, for a few days, just kind of being at the community pool with your friends and swimming all day, you know, I thought that sounded great. Looking back on it, I don't know if I've ever been in a more unsanitary place in my entire life than the community swimming pool. But uh, nonetheless, it was, a, it was a lot of fun for me. And I remember uh, at swim lessons, you kind of have different stations and different things that you're working on and different things that you're practicing. Uh, but at the last day, it all kind of culminated with one thing, the high dive. 
And uh, that's kind of what you look forward to the whole week, right? Like where you're just practicing, preparing to swim. And on that last day, it was the high dive. And every day as you'd be practicing, you kind of look over and you'd see that high dive and kind of just gear yourself up, getting ready for it. And I remember it was time to do the high dive. And all the, all the kids kind of surrounded uh, the pool and the edges. And we were going to watch as different groups were about to jump in. And uh, some of the more experienced uh, swimmers, they could actually, you know, dive like head first in the pool. And then other people like me just cannonballed into the pool, you know. And uh, so we're kind of getting ready for this. And I remember I went up to the top. And I'm looking down, and it's a little bit, little bit scary. I'm nervous. My heart's beating fast. But I, I just went for it. I just jumped. I did it. It was a lot of fun. And I got back in line. I did it again. My sister, Danielle, however, had a completely different experience on the high dive. And uh, she is not much of a swimmer. In fact, to this day, I don't think she knows how to swim still. But um, I, if she does, I've never seen it. So I don't know. Uh, but she was getting ready to go on the high dive. She climbed to the top. All eyes are on my sister, Danielle. She goes. She's scared out of her mind. Her little knees are kind of shaking, you know, as fast as they possibly could. And she's getting ready, kind of thinking about if she's actually going to go through with this. Is she going to jump or not? And uh, they had lifeguards kind of in the pool, kind of surrounding, uh, uh, kind of making sure everything's going to be all right. And Danielle, instead of, instead of jumping to the middle like you were supposed to, you know, instead of jumping to the deep end in the middle like you were supposed to, uh, she wanted to be closer to a lifeguard. And so she ended up jumping, but she jumped immediately to the left and landed directly on top of one of the lifeguards, almost knocked him out unconscious. And now, they're both like flailing their arms and they're both about to drown and another instructor had to come over and save both of them. Uh, to this day, I think Danielle is completely scarred uh, from that experience. You know, but the truth is, I think that that experience reveals a lot about our human nature. I think that I think that there's something in all of us that craves a life of fulfillment and a life of faith, even a life of adventure. And we crave that and we want to do that, but when we're standing on top looking down, it's a whole different story. It's a little bit more intimidating. And sometimes we like the concept of jumping in and, and, and diving in and living a life of faith and fulfillment, but when it comes down to it, the commitment is what scares us. We can like the concept of starting a church, but it's the commitment that scares us. And many times we're kind of comfortable to just stay back, and even though the Holy Spirit might be telling us, hey, jump, go all in, decide, be all in, surrender, past experiences and human reasoning tell us, no, just stay where you're comfortable. And so we've kind of grown accustomed to staying in our comfort zone and being, being safe, but the life to, uh, a life that follows Jesus is a life that says, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and be all in. In fact, Jesus said this in the book of Matthew chapter 16, verse number 24, then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Everybody say, deny himself. Deny himself, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so there's this serious level of commitment. You've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up the cross to follow Jesus. And what has happened is we've cheapened the gospel by allowing people to buy in without having to sell out. We've made Christianity far too comfortable and far too convenient to where people can get just enough Jesus to be content, even bored, but not really experience the thrill and the adventure of a life of following Jesus really has to offer. I heard a pastor say it like this. He kind of compared people's commitment to Jesus uh, like getting the flu shot. Uh, he said when you get the flu shot, they actually inject you with a little bit of the flu. Uh, so that way that your body can kind of uh, detect it and your immune system can fight it and your body becomes numb to it. And, you know, some people have just enough Jesus to where they actually become numb to him, to where it's not as exciting anymore. It's just kind of mundane. It's just kind of routine. And, and we're not willing sometimes to commit and to go all in. 
And we come to Mark chapter number 10, and uh, we find a passage really about new beginnings, and we meet a man uh, that is willing to go all in, a great demonstration, a great example of someone that says, you know what, I'm in this, I'm all in, I'm going to do this. And uh, Jesus was traveling, and, uh, and uh, he heals this man in Jericho, and it's interesting that uh, they're in Jericho in the south, and uh, Jesus is... Jesus' first miracle that we talked about in week number one at the wedding in Cana was in the north, Cana of Galilee. Uh, this is Jesus' last major miracle here in Mark chapter, chapter number 10. He's on his way to the cross, and uh, he performs his last miracle with this blind man. So his first miracle was up in the north. His last miracle is in the south. So Jesus was covering uh, the entire nation. His love knew no limits. And so he's going. He travels, uh, the Bible says, to Jericho. Jericho was a beautiful city. It was known as the City of Palms. It was kind of like a, a, a vacation destination, kind of like Palm Springs uh, today. People would go uh, to Jericho, and there would have been massive amounts of people. Uh, the Bible tells us in verse number 46 that there was a great multitude that was with Jesus, not only because people were interested in Jesus, and he had been doing miracles, and people wanted to see uh, what Jesus was going to do, but also because they were headed uh, to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. And the Passover would have been a major ordeal where hundreds and thousands of people would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish holiday of the Passover. Uh, historically, the Passover starts in the book of Exodus, and uh, uh, God's people were in bondage in Egypt, and God raised up a man named Moses, and he went uh, to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart, and he would not uh, let the people go. And so what happened? Uh, God sent 10 plagues, right? He sent the plagues to kind of get the attention of Pharaoh, and, and to kind of warn them and say, hey, let my people go. Uh, let them be free to worship me as they so choose. But Pharaoh said no. And it all kind of culminated and came uh, to a head with the last plague, which was the worst one of them all. The Bible says this in Exodus chapter number 11, verse number 5, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beast. And so God said, Pharaoh, if you don't repent, if you don't let my people go, the last plague is going to be the worst one. All the firstborn will die. That's the plague. And God had given them ample warning, and he had given them time and patience. He'd been very patient with them, but he is just, he is holy. And he says, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. Well, Pharaoh said no, and so God sent the plague. But he made provision. He made one ex exception. And it says this in, in Exodus chapter number 12, verse number 23. For the Lord will pass through, the, pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood on the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over, everybody say pass over, the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. So God made provision. He said, if you have faith in me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to express that faith. By the way, that's how faith works. Faith is an internal conviction that should result in an external expression. And so he says, I'm going to give you an opportunity to express your faith. And if you believe in me, I want you to take a sacrifice of an animal and put the blood on the doorpost and on the top. And, and when, the, when death passes over, if it sees that blood, it will literally pass over your house. And so God made provision for those that had faith. And so now we fast forward to the New Testament. And we have uh, uh, people that celebrate every year this Passover, God's deliverance out of Egypt. But this year, it was a little bit more important. It was a little bit more significant because the ultimate Passover sacrifice Sacrifice, Jesus was headed to the cross. This was his last week. He was going to be the spotless uh, lamb of God that would go to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And so I want you to picture the scene. 
Jesus is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's almost there. There's a lot on his mind. There's the weight of sin on his shoulders, and he's traveling. There's a big crowd there. Uh, there's a multitude of people that are just lining the streets, parading the streets. Uh, in, in that crowd would have been people like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was there, and he wanted to see Jesus so much that he climbed up into a tree so he could get a good look. And people are just swarming Jesus, surrounding him, and, and there's this multitude of people. There's this buzz kind of taking place, and, and Jesus hears a cry out to him. Son of David, have mercy on me. And here Mark introduces us to a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is one of the only uh, people in the Gospels who is healed that's mentioned by name. Most of the time it's Jairus' daughter. It's Peter's mother-in-law. It's a centurion's servant. It's another blind man. But this man is mentioned by name, and I think it's because Mark wants us to pay attention to Bartimaeus. I think Mark wants us to learn some things about living an all-in life from this man, Bartimaeus. And so if you got your Bible ready, if you got your notes ready, I want us to look at four ways that we can live an all-in life learning from Bartimaeus. Number one, we need to recognize our opportunity. Recognize your opportunity. The Bible says this in verse number 46, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. By the way, if you were a blind beggar, uh, that was a good place to sit on the highway side. A lot of people were coming and uh, they were smart. They would sit there and they would ask, ask for money. Uh, in this culture, if you were blind, that was considered some sort of divine judgment. You were cursed. In John chapter 9, when Jesus heals a different blind man, the disciples say, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Because they thought that being blind was a result of sin. And so uh, a blind person in this culture was considered the lowest of the lows. They, they were even lower than a tax collector, and tax collectors were despised and hated, but, but a blind beggar was, was rejected by God, they thought. They, they were under some sort of curse, and so they were the lowest of lows. And verse number 47 says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And so this blind man recognized, hey, hey, uh, uh, there's, there's some sort of commotion going on. Who is that? And he asked, and they say, it's Jesus. And he cries out to Jesus. He recognized his opportunity. Jesus was passing by. He didn't know when he would pass by again. And so he figured, you know what? This is my shot. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to cry out to Jesus. Even though people aren't going to like it, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And so he recognized his opportunity and he took it. Uh, but furthermore, he recognized his need. Uh, and he had a need of two things. His, his first need was a Messiah. In fact, it says this in verse number 47. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now that's an interesting verse because uh, you have to picture the scene. The blind man is sitting there and uh, he hears kind of this commotion that's taking place. And he asks, hey, who is that? Who, who, who's coming? And they say, that's Jesus of Nazareth. And then the blind man calls out to him, but he doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't say Jesus of Nazareth, ha have mercy on me. No, he says Jesus, son of David. Why? Because that term, that title, son of David, was a reference to the coming Messiah. They would have all understood that, that, that the, from the line of David came the Messiah. And so, so this blind man says, Jesus, and he has faith in who he is, and he says, thou son of David. They would have all recognized, they would have all understood that term. It was the most common term for the Messiah that the Jews had. And he says, Jesus, son of David. The Bible says uh, back in, in 2 Samuel 
chapter number 7, verse 13, he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Speaking of this, this throne of David, I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I will put before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And so everybody, uh, since that time, after 2 Samuel chapter number 7, we're thinking, where is this coming Messiah? Who, who is this king of kings going to be? Who is this king going to be that's going to uh, bring prosperity and bring peace? Uh, where is he? And they were looking for the coming Messiah from the line of David. Luke chapter number 1, verse 31 says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him uh, the throne of his father David. And so this was a strong declaration that this is the Messiah. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this would have been a dangerous statement to make because at this time in history, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel was once again under oppression. This time it was not from Egypt. This time it was from the Roman government. And the Roman government were, uh, were oppressing the people and putting heavy taxes on them. And so to declare that this is the King of Kings is a rejection of Caesar as Lord. And so this would have been a dangerous statement for Bartimaeus to make. But he doesn't care. He says, you know what? This is the King of Kings. I believe that Jesus is the Son of David. I believe that this is the Messiah. He understood and recognized that he had a need for the Savior. This word that, that, that says that Bartimaeus shouted out, he cried out. It's the Greek word karadzo. It's not kind of just like, kind of just like uh, a simple yelling at someone. Uh, recently, someone gave us an Amazon Echo. And uh, has anybody ever seen one of these Amazon Echoes before? A few of you. And uh, it's kind of funny because you can say uh, this little robot, uh, her name is Alexa. And you can say things like, Alexa, play a song. Or Alexa, what's the weather like? And it's kind of fun. The other day I walked into the room and I saw my three-year-old and my one-year-old just yelling, Alexa, Alexa, play some party music. And uh, I kind of paused and I thought, you know, this is the future. <laughs> you know, like my kids are yelling at a house robot. And uh, uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of one way to, to think about yelling at someone. Well, this word is not talking about just a simple yelling. This word is used in Revelation chapter number 12 to describe the woman uh, giving birth, screaming in pain. It, it's used in Mark chapter number 5, speaking of demons who were, who, who were screaming out in pain. This was a word like, like a shriek, a real strong yell. He was saying, I believe that this is Jesus. Have mercy on me. This is son of David, the king of kings, the Messiah. He understood his need for a savior. He said, Jesus is passing by. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And today, I just want to tell you that if you don't know for sure that if you were to die today, that you'd go to heaven when you die, this morning you have an opportunity and you can recognize your need for a savior. The Bible says that he's the savior of all men, especially those that believe. And so this morning, our, our greatest need is not a system. Our greatest need is a savior. And Bartimaeus said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm just going to not let, I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is Jesus, son of David, the king of kings and lord of lords. And everyone told them to be quiet. But not only did he recognize his need for a Messiah, he understood and recognized his need for mercy. Look at what he says in verse 47. He says, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy. G Bartimaeus did not stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I've tried to do my best. He didn't say, I've tried to clean up my life a little bit. He didn't kind of jump up and say, Jesus, I've done the best with what, I, what I've been given. And God, please help me out. No, he said, I need your mercy. I don't deserve it. I need your mercy. It's an interesting question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus in verse number 51. If you'll, if you'll notice it, Jesus answered and said to him, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Jesus says, 
what do you want me to do? And it's an interesting question because he asked the disciples, James and John, in verse number 36 of the same chapter, the same question. He says, what, do you, what wilt thou have me to do? What do you want me to do? And they said, we want to be at your right hand and at your left. We want power. We want influence. We want to be used. We want to be something special. And he asked the same question to Bartimaeus, and he says, I just want to see. I, I need your mercy. I wonder how we would answer that question. Jesus says, what, what do you want me to do? Because the appropriate response is, Jesus, I need your mercy. Just like the man in Luke chapter number 8 who was so overwhelmed by his own sin that he said, pounded his chest and he said, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's not about measuring up. It's not about being as good as we possibly can be. It's not about trying to be a good person. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse number 5, it's not of works of righteousness which we have done. It's by his mercy. Everybody say mercy. It's by his mercy that he saved us. And so Bartimaeus understood and he recognized his need for a Messiah. This is son of David. This is not just a good man. This is God. The Bible says uh, that, 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 he is, that Jesus is equal with God. And, and so he was saying, this is the Messiah. I recognize that. I recognize that I need mercy. He recognized his opportunity. Notice the second thought this morning. It's this. If we're going to go all in, we need to refuse to be discouraged. Refuse to be discouraged. Bartimaeus got some criticism. Verse number 48. And many charged him that he should not hold his peace, or that he should hold his peace, but he cried, the, the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on him. Isn't it interesting that there's absolutely no sympathy for this man? Bartimaeus is there sitting, begging by the highway side, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone's like, hey, be quiet. Shh. They thought that he was annoying. They said, just, just be quiet, just shut up. You're being too loud. Don't you see that Jesus is busy? Be quiet. Be quiet. Hold your peace. Stop talking. And he immediately refused or received this criticism. I, I played basketball a little bit in college, and I remember Daniel and I were talking uh, earlier. He plays basketball as well. And uh, we were talking about how sometimes you can go into an opposing gym, and there's kind of a, a hostile environment. And uh, I remember walking into a gym one time, and we were playing, and I was on the court, and uh, I, I caught the ball. My number was 21, and someone from the stand said, hey, 21, I didn't know Barbies played basketball. <laughs> it was kind of funny. You can laugh, okay? I, I, even, I even laughed a little bit. I thought, it was, I thought it was kind of funny. I remember another time I was standing in a huddle, and I kind of had my arms crossed like this. And someone yelled, hey, 21, are you trying to make your arms look bigger? And slowly I just, you know, kind of <laughs> put my arms down. And, uh, you know, kind of going into those hostile environments, it's kind of fun sometimes. People will, will shout at you and different things. But, you know, sometimes when we're trying to do what God wants us to do, uh, the criticism that we receive is not funny at all. Sometimes it's, it, it cuts deep. And sometimes it causes us to slow down a little bit. Every decision for Christ will be disputed for certain. Anytime you make a decision that says, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry out to Jesus. I'm going to do something. I'm going to step out by faith. Mark it down. Criticism's coming. People are going to try to discourage you. In business circles, they call it the rule of, rule of the 5%. They say no matter what you do, 5% of the people are never going to agree with you or like what you do. There's just always going to be those people that are going to try to discourage you in your walk with God, in your steps of faith. I read about a man named Colonel Gothels, and he was the colonel that was in charge of, of the extreme and massive construction project of the Panama Canal. And uh, uh, he was given this, given this job that he was supposed to supervise this whole project. And, and along the way, people kept on criticizing him, saying, hey, it's impossible. You're never going to be able to get this done. It's going to cost too much money. How do you think you're going to do this? And one of his coworkers said to him, are you ever going to answer these critics? And he said, in time. And his friend said, when? And he said, or, or no, he said, how? And he said, with a canal. That, that's how I'm going to answer my critics. Warren Wearsby said this, 
The way we respond to criticism pretty much depends on the way we respond to praise. If praise humbles us, then criticism will build us up. But if praise inflates us, then criticism will crush us. And both responses lead to our defeat. There's always going to be those people that try to silence our voice of faith. And these people tell Bartimaeus, hey, just, just be quiet. Stop crying out. They understood what he was saying. Even the disciples, they understood he was saying, son of David. He, they, they knew that he had faith. But that didn't matter to them. They said, be quiet. But notice how he responds with courage. Look at what he does in verse 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. I love that. He just got louder. They said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. You're being too loud. And he said, Jesus, son of David, he just got louder. There's always going to be those that try to silence your voice of faith, but you need to have an attitude and a spirit that says, when the enemy tries to silence me, that's only going to strengthen me. When the enemy tries to derail me, that's only going to develop me. I'm just going to keep on going in the calling that God has for me. It doesn't matter what people around me say. I'm just going to keep on moving forward. Bartimaeus just got louder. I love that. He, 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 just, he just said, you know what? I believe in Jesus, and as, as his faith rises, so does his volume. He says, I'm going to call out to Jesus and get louder. He had courage. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 6, so that we may boldly say, everybody say boldly say, that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. A.W. Tozer said this, the most critical need of the church at this moment is men, bold men, free men. The church must seek in prayer and much humility that the coming again of men made of the stuff of which prophets and martyrs are made. He said, we need men that aren't afraid to step out, that aren't afraid to stand up for what they believe, that they are unashamed of the gospel of Christ. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, Fear thou not, for I am with, th with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isn't that encouraging? Yes. Refuse to be discouraged. Notice number three. Number three is remove any hindrance. How are we going to go all in? How are we going to just have this life committed to following Jesus? Well, we've got to re re remove any hindrance. Notice what it says in verse 49. I want you to see how, how Jesus called this man. Verse 49. And Jesus stood still. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is willing to stand still? Aren't you thankful that Jesus is a, is, is a God of compassion and comfort, and he's willing to be patient with us, and he stood still, and he commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he called. Isn't it funny how their tone changed? First they were saying, Shut up, stop talking, and then Jesus says, Bring him, and they say, Be of good comfort, Jesus calls you. They changed their whole perspective, their whole, their whole attitude. And Jesus stands still. I find it interesting, and I find it quite amazing that the faith of a blind beggar had the ability to stop Jesus in his tracks. The Bible talks about a leader in the Old Testament named Joshua who had the kind of crazy faith, who had the kind of audacious faith, the kind of faith that literally made the sun stand still. But here's a blind beggar that made the Savior stand still. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus is compassion? He pauses and he says, what do you need? I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what kind of difficulty you've experienced. I don't know what kind of trial you're enduring, but I know this, uh, no problem God is not too busy to, to not stop and stand still for your problem. God's willing to come and meet you in your time of need. The Bible says in Psalms 51, verse number 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. If you're hurting, if you're broken, broken, if you're in need, Jesus is willing to stand still 
and show you the compassion and love that, that we need. Charles Spurgeon said this, To this day Jesus stands still to hear the cry of the destitute. If at this moment we could withdraw the curtains of heaven, we would see a Savior waiting to be gracious, ready to hear our prayers, listening to every sigh, putting every tear into his bottle, answering every petition which comes up before him from a sincere heart. And so Jesus, he, he stood still. And then notice what Bartimaeus does, verse number 50. It says this, And he... Casting away his garment. Can I see that coat, Matt? He casted away his garment. And so he has this garment. He has this coat. And uh, most likely, it did not look like this, but you get the idea. And what he would use that coat for is he would lay it out on the ground. And uh, this is how he would collect money. This is how people would kind of throw, throw change in his coat. And uh, he, he would have this there and have this ready. And then at the end of the day, he would kind of pick it up and probably multi-purpose use it for a blanket and to stay warm and things like that. But when Jesus calls him, the Bible does not say that he left his garment. Jesus called him and he didn't just leave it there so he could come back and get it. The Bible says that he picked up his garment and he casted it. He threw it. He said, I don't need this anymore. It, it, the idea was, hey, I'm leaving this behind. This is my stability. This is my comfort. This is my livelihood. And I'm casting it. I'm leaving it behind. See, if we're going to jump all in for Jesus, if we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do, we've got to have the spirit that says, I'm willing to leave anything behind. See, the problem is many times we're clinging to what we should be casting. Many times we're clinging, we're holding on to something that God says, no, you need to remove it. And sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's a relationship, sometimes it's just a weight. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says in Hebrews 12, 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Everybody say weight. Wait, and the sin with, which does so easily beset us. And so the author of Hebrews differentiates between sin and a weight. Sometimes it's sin that we need to cast. Sometimes it's sin that we need to remove. But sometimes it's just a good thing that is elevated to a God thing. And in so doing, it's a bad thing. And so sometimes there's weights that not, aren't necessarily bad things, but they're not the best thing that we need to lay aside and remove. And this man, Bartimaeus, said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and cast this garment aside. I don't need it anymore. I'm all in. See, we need to have the heart like Abraham that says, I'll put Isaac on the altar. We need to have the heart that Peter that says, I'll get out of the boat to walk on the water. We need to have the heart like Elisha that says, I'm willing to burn all my plowing equipment, my old lifestyle, because I'm going to pursue God and his will. We need to be willing to go all in and remove any hindrance that could stand in the way of us following Jesus. Bartimaeus, he casted that garment aside. And I want you to notice what happens lastly in this story and, and, and how we can kind of gauge if we're willing to go all in. We've got to be willing, number four, to redefine our purpose. Redefine our purpose. Notice what it says in verse number 52. This is, this is the climax of the story. This is, the, this is where it all comes to, verse 52. And Jesus said unto him, go thy way. Everybody say thy way. He says, go your way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The word whole in the Greek uh, is not talking uh, necessarily about physical healing, although it did include that. It's talking about spiritual healing. The Greek word is saved. He says, thy faith hath saved, saved you. So not only did he receive physical healing, but he received spiritual healing as well. Uh, he, he received a new life in Jesus. And Jesus says, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight. And he followed Jesus in the way. I think it's so amazing that Jesus says uh, to Bartimaeus, hey, uh, you're healed now. Now you can see. Go ahead. Go your way. 
Go do whatever you want. You have a new life now. And for Bartimaeus, that new way meant that maybe he could now get a job. Maybe he could now reconnect with family members that he hadn't seen in years. Maybe that meant that he could finally get some stability. He could finally meet up with people and get, get a job again. But now Jesus says, go your way. And Bartimaeus says, I can't do that. I've got to follow Jesus. He was free to do whatever he wanted to do. He was free to go his way, but he said, I've just got to follow Jesus in the way. It doesn't make sense to me to do anything else. I've got to be committed. I've got to be all in to Jesus. From day one, I received this new beginning, and I'm thankful, but it doesn't make sense to me to do anything else with my life than to just follow Jesus. The, the disciples in John chapter number 6, verse number 66 says this, from, the time, from that time, many of his disciples went back. Everybody say, went back. And walk no more with him. And Jesus said unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I love that response. People walk away. They stop following Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, Are you also going to go away? And Peter says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. It's not logical to do anything else. It's not logical to pursue any other dream. It's not logical to try to fulfill our own satisfaction. We've got to just follow you. Bartimaeus said, day one, I'm all in. I'm going to follow Jesus. I know. I know I'm free to do whatever I want, but I'm going to follow Jesus. See, the problem is, so many of us, we want God to do a new thing while we keep doing the same old thing. We've got to have that heart that says, I'm willing to step out by faith out of my comfort zone and stand at the top. But I know it's scary, but jump all in. Remove any hindrances. I'm not going to let anything stand in the way. Recognize your opportunity. Jesus is passing by. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss the opportunity. Refuse to be discouraged and redefine your life's pur purpose. I'm going to follow Jesus in the way. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. We've got to be willing to risk it all. We've got to be willing to seize the moment. We've got to have that all-in heart and that all-in mindset. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near.